in 35 years, the entire world would know Jesus. Here we say that we want to be a church reaching the city, not just to impact our world, but to change it. That math gives you a little bit more belief that we really could change the world. Because the greatest change that anyone can undergo is the change of a heart from hate to love, from hardness to pursuing Christ. What's even more shocking is that if every Christian in the world today were to decide to do that, everyone in the world would know Christ in two to four years. If you are not a Christian this morning, uh, I want you to know that that we love you and that we care about you and it's not just about reaching you for our own gain or our own benefit or to, to have more resources, but, but we want you to know Jesus for many reasons. But I would be remiss not to tell you that we believe that we are gonna spend eternity with God or we are going to spend eternity without God. And the only way that we can spend eternity with God is if we know Jesus. We don't want you to spend eternity away from him. But we also know that eternity doesn't come when we leave this earth, when we die. Eternity begins the moment you start to follow Christ. The moment that you turn to him and he becomes your savior and your Lord. And that provides, that leads us into a life of joy, of fulfillment, of purpose, of peace and of freedom and so much more. That's what we want for you. And so this morning as I talk about sharing the gospel and sharing the good news and and engaging with the people around us, I want you to know that that's the heart that we talk about this from. Is that we want you not only to spend eternity with God, but we want you today to begin to live in the freedom, to experience the joy and the love that God, through Jesus, has for you. My name is Paul. I'm on staff here at Discovery. I'm the Discovery Group's coordinator. And uh, thank you, Jeremy. Um, he's also on staff, so. <laughs> um, so so uh, we are in week two of a, a series through the book of Acts. And the series title is called Turning the World Upside Down. And our goal for the series Um, is that we, as a church, I have it here somewhere, one more page back. Our goal for the series is that um, we as a church would catch the vision that God has for his people to participate together in his mission to reach our world, reach our city and our world. To start this, Kevin Miller, uh, a member of this body, uh, launched this series out of Acts 1-8. If you're not familiar with Acts 1-8, uh, the believers, the followers of Jesus are sitting with Jesus one um, last time before he ascends into heaven, and, and he gives them this command. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
for the majority of us who are followers of Jesus, we know the Great Commission. We know the command to be a witness, to take the gospel, to take the good news, to tell people about the good news everywhere we go, whether that's in Davis, to our jobs, uh, whether that's in Woodland and in the schools, or if you are sent as a missionary to uh, a people group who have never heard, where Jesus may be uh, a name that people don't know. We know that that's our call. We know that that has been um, given to us as a command. We know that that is uh, Christ's uh, mission in this world to expand his kingdom. But we don't normally obey it. Not many of us share the good news with the people around us. See, we, we uh, live and we love people, and that is a huge, we live with people and we love people, and that's a huge part of what Christ is asking us to do. But the other part of that is through word, declaring the truth, declaring that Jesus is Savior and Lord. See, I think so often uh, we have come to believe because of the way that um, the way that we practice our faith in this country today that we need to know more. That the people who get to declare the gospel and share the good news with people must stand on a stage. But I'm standing here this morning and telling you that in our country today, and especially in this city, people are not drawn to be here on Sunday morning. We no longer wake up on Sunday morning and feel an obligation to go to church. Instead, uh, we must take this good news and we must go to them. And this gives me hope because this is the movement that Christ began. This is the movement that the church that we're about to read about lived out. This is the movement that is the reason we sit here today. So instead of feeling like we need to know more, I want to submit to you this morning that the most powerful witness we have is not information and knowledge, but is a changed life, a life following after Christ. And if you don't believe me, I just would encourage you to read the Gospels. There's stories about this all through, sprinkled throughout. In Matthew 9, Jesus calls Matthew, the guy who eventually wrote the book, the tax collector, to follow him. A few short verses later, he sends him with the 12 to go and spread the news of the kingdom. In Mark 5, Jesus gets out of a boat and a demon-possessed man approaches. Jesus casts the demons out of this man, and it was so miraculous, and there was so much awe in the people, they were kind of afraid of the situation. And the man, feeling that, asked Jesus, can I come with you where you're going? And Jesus said, no, you need to stay. Go back to your friends. Go back to your family. Tell them all that God has done for you. He met a woman at a well in John 4. Through a, a conversation, this woman came to see who Jesus was. She dropped everything immediately, ran and got people 
We later, a few verses, learned that she led many people to believe in Jesus because of the testimony of her conversation with him. And my favorite in John 9, a blind man, Jesus walking along a dirt road, did something that was probably pretty against the social norms. He spit, made mud out of his saliva, wiped it on the man, and said, go and wash off. You'll be able to see. And that's what happened. And the Pharisees came to that man, the religious, the religious leaders of the day, and said, who did this? It was Sabbath. It was against the law. It was against the rules of, of the culture of the day to perform a miracle, to work on Sabbath. And, and the guy said, it must have been God. And you know who won that debate? Based off of his witness, never even having laid eyes on Christ, just having a life changed by him. The man who was once blind and can now see. What we need to know is who changed our lives. What we need to know is who changed our lives. That's the most powerful witness we can have. And so this morning, I'm going to look at Acts 2, verses 1 through 41. At what these first believers, these first followers of Jesus, how they lived out their faith. Father, um, would you just be with us? Would you, uh, would you speak to us this morning, God? Would, would we hear... Would we be empowered by your spirit to fulfill your great commission, to fulfill your, your purpose for us, and to pursue your kingdom? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Acts 2, 1 through 13. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages, as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Perithians, Medes, Elamites, people from Macedonia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Cretans, and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own language about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk. That's all. I want to point out uh, that at first, um, in 1.8, Christ said, wait for the power of the Spirit. The believers were gathered together when a mighty wind, a loud noise, and then fire came down. Like the, That is the power of the Holy Spirit. See, it says here, suddenly that happened, and really that's the essence of the Christian faith. Is It's not something that we do, but it is something that is done to us. So suddenly the Holy Spirit came down, and I don't want to miss the, the importance of this. See, Pentecost was uh, the day uh, 
it was the 50th day after Passover. And, and the 50th day after Passover, what happened was Moses went up to Mount Sinai and he met with God there. And God gave him the laws and, and the rules that the nation of Israel were to follow in order to be in relationship with him. And so, so what, what this day symbolized was it was reminding them of the, of the way that they could be in relationship with the one God that they believe created the world and created them. But see, what happened on this day was God changed that system. On the day when God told them how to be in relationship with him, he once again told them how to be in relationship with him. And it was a new way. It was a way through the power of the Holy Spirit when you believe in Jesus, when you follow Christ, that that the Spirit would come and rest on them. And so all of a sudden, instead of the Holy Spirit resting on the nation of Israel, as one and a whole, the Holy Spirit now rested on each individual believer. And that would change the way that we are empowered to go and be witnesses for God's kingdom. See, what I want us to understand from this first part of the passage is that the Holy Spirit empowers us to fulfill God's mission. See, we can't fulfill God's mission apart from the Holy Spirit. We can't go and be a witness without having Christ along with us to empower us because it's not dependent on us. What this, the early church knew is that it's actually dependent on him. So the spirit, so the church waited and they received the spirit. And what happens? The spirit rests on each believer, individual believer. And then it says that everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Right from the very beginning, the group of believers began to witness to the people around them. All of the people came running and they began to hear the good news. They began to hear the the truth about who Jesus was and what his life meant. See, This summer, we have communities. Uh, We have 4th of July. As a church, we say we want to reach the city, but what we have to first know is before we can share the good news with the people in the city and the people in our lives, we must first be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so, what does that look like? Just really practically. First, I, I believe that We have to have faith. We have to believe that we have been given the Holy Spirit when we declare Jesus as our Savior and Lord. From there, in Luke, uh, we're told that that he will give the Holy Spirit to he who asks. And, And so I would say, like, let's seek God. Let's ask for him to to give us, to empower us with that spirit, that we would have the faith to believe that God wants to use us to be a witness here and now. And then we have to learn to hear from God. And so one practical way that I can, that I do this, that that we can do this is to, to get away from the noise of life and to spend time with God, to spend time not just reading the Bible, which is a great way to hear from the Holy Spirit, not just praying for people and asking God for things, but to sit silently at the feet of the Lord and listen. Ask him to speak to you. 
get to know his voice. Because when we go back into the world, we need to be able to know that voice. We need to be able to hear that voice over the noise that is around us so that when he does speak to us, we can respond and obey. I think that's how we begin to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We believe it's been given to us. We ask him to speak to us. We listen for him and we obey him. I also want to take just one quick detour. I love in this passage um, that, that the, the Spirit of God talked to everyone in their own language. See, the Spirit of God wasn't trying to, to assimilate all believers and all cultures and all people into one singular uh, sameness. Rather, he created us unique. He created us with different cultures and with different languages and um, But what he does do is he brings unity. See, these were a group of people who were at a time in in, uh, history that were divided, much like today. They didn't get along. But, But when they started to hear the same message in their own language, what they realized was happening was they were being invited into one family to be unified together, to love, to worship, and to follow Christ. Don't miss the power of that, and I'm going to come back to it in just a minute. So, they're empowered with the Spirit, and they begin to witness. What happens next? Acts 2, 14 through 21. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow... Listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy and I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great day or before that great and glorious day of the Lord of the Lord arrives. What did I read wrong there? The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great day, that great and glorious day of the Lord's arrival. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, what we see here is that these disciples, these followers of Jesus, they met people where they were. Both physically and spiritually, I think we need to do this. See, in verse 13, we're told, verse 12 and 13, we're told that many were amazed at the wonders that God was doing speaking to them in their own language. But some of them ridiculed us. We should be ready for that. That's part of following Jesus. When we go to the 4th of July, if you have the opportunity to share the good news of Christ, when we gather at Farmer's Market, if you have the opportunity to share the gospel with someone, you must expect that some people will ridicule you. The sooner that we expect that, the sooner that that we're okay with that, the sooner that we are not afraid of that, the sooner we can begin to live into the power and the calling 
that, we, uh, that Jesus has given us to be witnesses across the world. But see, we also need to understand that sometimes those are just questions. Sometimes that's just the first step for us to engage with someone to begin to point them to the good news of Jesus. See, what Peter does is he stands up and he says, we're not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. Do you know how much, how unlikely it is that this many people are drunk at 9 a.m.? That would have been some early pre-gaming. He says, no. Remember the prophet Joel? He's speaking to people who would have known this prophecy, the people who are waiting for this prophecy, who are asking God for this prophecy. He says, remember that prophecy when the Holy Spirit was poured out on God's people? That's what's happening here. See, he met them where they were spiritually. He said, you don't believe, but I promise you we're not drunk. And then he pointed them back to what was really happening. He pointed them back to the truth of Jesus, ending saying, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, how are we as, as, a, as a body of believers, how are we as a family of Christ, as the family of God, how are we as a family pursuing the, the purpose that God has given us in this city to share the good news, to reach people for him? We go together in communities. We're going together to the 4th of July. See, we're showing up physically so that we can engage with people where they are. Because like I said earlier, in today's world, people are not just coming to this place. We must go and first know them. We must go and first meet them. We must go and first have an interaction with them. We must go and allow Jesus to be seen through us. But then once we get there, we must also meet them where they are spiritually. We must ask them questions. We must be the best listeners. We must uh, begin to know who they are. What is causing them pain in their lives? What do they believe about spiritual things? Do they worship another God? And then we have to begin to engage them in conversation and pointing them back to Jesus. I want to jump back just a little bit when the Spirit began to talk to people in their language. See, I think that, that what we so often miss is that we think that we hold truth. And so if we're believers and the people out there are not believers, that we have to take our culture and we have to go and impose our language and our culture on them. See, what I'm seeing in this passage is that it's not about taking our culture, but it's about going and becoming a part of the culture that's already there, speaking their language, valuing the things that they value. Now, don't hear me wrong, because we also must take the truth of the gospel and we must confront and challenge the lies of the enemy that that culture is based in and built upon. But the truth is that there's a lot of, about the culture of Davis that we need to champion, that we should be the leaders of, that we should engage in. The people, the city of Davis value people. 
Like, we should lead the way in valuing people. We need to champion that part of culture. They value recycling and taking care of God's creation, stewarding it well. We should steward God's creation better than anyone else in this city. We should lead the way in that. They value relationships and community. We should have better community here than anywhere else in Davis. We need to champion those things. But we need to hold the truth of the gospel and challenge the lies of the enemy that have seeped into the culture as well. See, culture here is built around looking good, having nice things, making sure everyone thinks you have it together. Well, what we know is that that will leave you empty. That will never fulfill you, and that will never satisfy you, and ultimately those relationships are not lasting. So we need to challenge that, and we need to say, well, guess what? Your worth isn't built on your home. Your worth isn't built on your college degree or how much, you have, how much money you have in the bank. Your worth is built on the resurrection and the following and the Savior, Jesus. That's how we go and we assimilate into the culture and we hear what their pain is, we hear what they believe, and we point them back to Jesus through it. We must be empowered by the Spirit, and then we must go be with people. We must begin to become one of them. We must begin to know them and hear them. And then in Acts 2, 22 through 35, we get to, to the core, the central, the center part of this passage, and we learn what it means to be a witness, to share the good news. He says, people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for, de back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. King David said this about him, I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself. For he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew, that God, he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave the Messiah, Jesus, among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him his Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. See, they first are empowered by the Holy Spirit. They then 
meet people where they're at spiritually. And then they share who Jesus is. Right? And, and I think that we, we don't want to miss this. And I love... Um, I love how Kevin so simply explained this in the message last week. He said, first you identify with Jesus. And that's what we see here. He says, when we started speaking in tongues to all of you, we were telling you about the miracles, the good works, and the power of Christ. Jesus the Nazarene. He identifies with Jesus. Then he, in that same in that same time, he's sharing about the life of Christ. I talked about this a little bit in the opening, but the most powerful way to share about the life of Christ is your story. What has God done in your life? What's your witness and your testimony? See, what we believe as Christians is that Jesus is risen from the dead. That Jesus is not dead, that Jesus is alive, which means that his life and his ministry is still being carried out in our lives today. Do you know your story? Can you share your story with someone who doesn't know Jesus in a way that shares who Jesus is with them? I don't want to discredit the power of the Bible and the Gospels. We must know the life of Jesus as well. We must be able to share the miracles that were here, that he performed while he was here. But the most powerful witness that you have is the miracles that he has performed in your life. Share your story. Share, share about Jesus. And then, just as Peter did here, share about who Jesus was. Share Jesus' story. Sometimes I think we want to pretend like this is a really simple thing. And I, I think that we can share one verse, and that communicates something. And I don't think that that's wrong or bad, but sometimes I also think that we need to know that as followers of Jesus, as people who have stepped into a new life with him, there's a little bit more. And you're accountable to knowing a little bit more because that's what you believed. And so you should take the time and to know his story and to be able to share his story on the back end of your own. And it's not super difficult, right? We need to know that Christ came from heaven to earth. That that God put skin and bone on. And he lived a perfect life. To die on the cross for us. And when he died on the cross for us, what that symbolized was a sacrifice. A blood sacrifice. To wash away our sins and our imperfections. To make us pure and to make us right before God. Because we are imperfect people. We are sinful people who cannot be in relationship with God without being made right before him in Christ. And then everything that our story, that our testimony hinges on is resurrection. Both Jesus' resurrection, but also our own. Paul tells us that we are to be pitied if that did not happen. 
See, these 11 apostles stand up together. In verse 14, it says, the 11 apostles stood up with Peter, the 12 of them. And then he says, we were witnesses. We saw Christ die and we saw his resurrected body. Death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him. Evil does not have power or authority over him. That's what our story, that's what Jesus' story, that's what our faith hinges on. We must not leave that out. But we also can't stop there because Peter then goes on and he tells about how Jesus was raised into heaven, that he was raised to the right hand of God, that he has authority over all things on earth, evil, that he has authority over death, and that he pours his power back into us so that we can be empowered to be witnesses. We must hit all of those things. And then he continues on in verse 36, and I intentionally left this out because too often we don't share this with people. He says, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. We must tell people that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, that he is the sacrifice, that he, through him you can be made right with God, that you can be given the life that you're trying to create on your own. It may look very different, but it will be way better. But when you accept that forgiveness of your sins, when you declare him Savior, what you're saying is that you're climbing up on that cross and dying with him and that your life is now Christ. That just as Christ was resurrected into a new life and into eternity, we are now resurrected into a new life and into eternity. But what that means is that Jesus is now the Lord of our life. That Jesus now is in control of our life. That we must surrender every part of ourselves to him. That we must follow him where he leads. See, too often we tell people it's about eternity and salvation, and you get to go to heaven when you die, but the reality is it starts when you believe. That you worship Jesus as the Messiah here, and you follow him wherever he goes, and you know where he's going to tell you to go? He's going to tell you to be a witness right where I have you. That's the call of Christ. That's what it means when we begin to believe in him, when we say, Jesus, you are my savior. He is also now your Lord. Don't miss that. And don't leave that out of the gospel. Because if you don't share that before someone comes to Jesus and they walk through the doors and hear that, they're like, whoa, 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 so I can't continue to do what I want to do? No. No, you can't. Life is completely and totally different. And it will be way better. You will be full of love and joy and peace. You will be set free from the brokenness and the pain that you live with when you find that the things that you pursue don't fulfill the promises that you're lied to, told, that you believe, that you bought. But you are now Christ, and you must follow him. It's not all about what we know if we don't obey. 
We can know a lot of good things, but if we don't obey his lordship, if we don't obey where he leads, we're missing the point now. And then Peter wraps up sharing the good news with these Jewish men and women. He says, Peter, it says, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all of his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. We can't skip that part. We can't share the good news of Jesus and not ask them to respond to it. These believers, they believe, these believers shared the good news, and the Jewish men and women listening that day were cut to the heart, and they believed what they said. They realized that they had crucified the Savior. They realized that Jesus had come to be their Messiah, that Jesus had come to be their Lord. And they said, what do we do about that? How do we respond to that? How do we enter into this new life? that this Jesus you're talking about and telling us about offers. And Peter said, repent from your, of your sins. Turn from the way that you are living your life. Live differently. Follow Jesus. Be empowered by the Spirit. Be baptized. Baptism is a declaration that you are a follower of Jesus. When you go under the water, it involves water. Sorry if you... Uh, haven't spent, if you're not a believer in Jesus. What baptism is, it's just a, it's a symbol. It's an outward declaration to the people around you and the people in your life that you are now a follower of Jesus. And it represents the spiritual transformation that you go through. It's in water, and when you're dipped under the water, what you're saying is you're dying to the old way of living. You're dying to your old self. That water is a symbol of Christ's blood washing you clean. You are now pure and you're being raised into new life with him. Be baptized. Declare that for everyone to see. Receive the Spirit. Know that you now have the Holy Spirit, that you are now empowered to be a part of God's family, living out his mission. You are now empowered to begin to see the change and the transformation that Jesus wants to give you. See, too often we tell people about Jesus, but then we don't know how to ask them if they uh, want to respond to him. And I think that there's two simple questions that you can ask. Do you understand what I'm saying? Does this make sense? Where am I losing you? What questions do you have? And is there anything that's keeping you from putting your faith, from trusting in him as your savior and as your Lord today? It doesn't have to be difficult to ask for a response. 
So what does this have for us today? Here's what I would tell you. If you don't know Jesus, what I want for you is to know him. I want you to know that he loves you. I want you to know that when you put your faith in Christ, you will enter into a completely new life. One that is free from from the brokenness and, and the cycles that we have been enslaved in. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit to break those cycles. See, I want you to, to know that, that uh, Jesus made a way for you to be in relationship with God. He came to this earth and he lived a perfect life, an unblemished life, a life that you and I can't live in our own power. And he went to the cross and he died for you. So that you could be restored to God. And then he rose again, symbolizing the fact that he is, has more power. He is over death. He has conquered evil. That he has the power to change and to transform your heart and to lead you into a new life with him. Does that make sense? What questions do you have? I want to answer them for you. We all want to answer them for you. What's keeping you from putting your faith in Christ this morning? I want to talk about that. I'll be down in the prayer corner. If you have questions, let's talk. I'll share my story with you. I'll answer your questions to the best of my ability. If you know Jesus this morning, know this truth. This truth should shape our day, every day. We should hear his voice. We should respond to his voice. We should be constantly repenting of our sins, turning back to him. We should be identifying with Christ, not in baptism every day, That's a one-time thing. But we should still identify with Jesus daily. And we should obey him. We should obey him to share this good news. At Discovery, we say that we believe God has called us to be a church that is reaching this city. And that through reaching this city, we have the power to change the world. We believe that we will do this by meeting people where they are. By leading them to be followers of Jesus, who lead others to be followers of Jesus. The way that we begin to lead people to be followers of Jesus is that we go to them. We go to 4th of July. We go to communities. We begin to listen to them and to hear their hearts and to hear what they're passionate about and to hear what they believe and to hear, to see their values. And then we begin to point them back to Jesus. Whatever it looks like for that individual person because God loves people. And he will use different people in this room to reach different people. 
But see, as, as, we, as we share the good news, what, what we now learn is, what we now see is that that person can respond and that heart can be changed and, and they don't need to know more. They need to know that they, they need to repent of their sins. They need to know who is changing their life. And then they need to follow and respond and obey Jesus. And that's how that cycle continues. Because what you believe is what you need to know. Who you follow is the story that you need to share. That's the good news. We must, meet, we must be empowered by the Spirit. We must meet people where they are. We must share our story and share Jesus' story. We must remind them what the cost is, that it is, he is their Savior and he is also their Lord. And then we have to ask for a response. That's what it means to share the good news. That's who we want to be as believers because people aren't going to come here to hear the people who stand on this stage readily without being engaged by you, without being engaged by the Holy Spirit through you. And the truth is, is that when you get to go into the community, you're going to have the opportunity to share the good news. I really, 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 really pray that you will join us as a church in sharing the good news. Begin with the 4th of July. Look for opportunities. Come to Farmer's Market on Wednesday nights with us. We want this city to know Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, um, I just thank you that, that I don't have to do this on my own. That we don't have to do this on our own. That it is your Holy Spirit that empowers us to live out what you ask us to. Your Holy Spirit that empowers us to obey your call. God, if there is someone here, if there are people here who don't know you, would you, would you open their eyes to you, God? Would you begin to, to speak to them this morning? They begin to experience your love. More specifically, God, would they begin to experience your love through your people? God, would you use us to make your son visible in this city? You use us to make your son visible to the people around us. You say that we should ask for workers for the harvest, Lord. God, would we be workers proclaiming your good news so that people may know you, so that people may have their lives changed, so that they may be set free. Christ, and we pray. Amen.